Anyway it goes, we're very blessed to be able to come into this place on Wednesday night and to be together and to talk about the truths of the Word of God and to be with each other. And for those of you joining online, we're very glad that you have joined us. You are also a part of this. You may not be in this location, but you're also a part of this. And uh, we're very, very glad. If anybody is listening to me tonight, they are a part of the family. Amen? So that's why so that's why Wednesday nights are so beneficial for this church family. We do come to worship corporately, but we also come together to strengthen and to be strengthened and to rest a bit from the oppressive atmosphere that's outside and refresh ourselves in him and his word. How many of you have been enjoying the past two series which have occurred in here on Wednesday nights? Yeah, yeah, they have been incredible. First of all, we had a series on the study of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You'll remember that. And then just last week, we wound up the series, the Call to Serve series. And we talked about Call to Serve God, Call to Serve My Generation, Call to Serve My Family, Call to Serve My Church. And those series are the beginning of something that we're very excited about, that we're putting into practice here on Wednesday nights called the Sanctuary Series. And so on Wednesday nights here in the Sanctuary, most Wednesday nights we will be involved in a Sanctuary Series. And sometimes those will be one person teaching. Sometimes we'll have different teachers. In the last series, Call to Serve, we had those two panel discussions. Weren't they incredible panel discussions? If you were here, we, those were just awesome. So we will have things like that. Um, but we are going to be planning and, and, and in the process of putting together truths and studies from the Word of God intentionally for Wednesday night sanctuary series. And I'm very, very, very excited about that. Tonight, we are beginning a three-week sanctuary series that's entitled just simply Bible Study Methods. And I will be presenting all three weeks of this series. I'm looking forward to bringing a lot of different tools and methods to you. Some of you may have attended Eat This Book when I taught it here I didn't get to finish it because I don't even like to say the word. That sickness came through and knocked most everybody down. And we had, a, I think, about that many people here the third week and on the fourth week. I did it on Zoom, but I think everybody was sick and nobody probably watched it. But anyway. But in Eat This Book, I do a lot, I do a lot of practical, but I also do a lot of philosophical and theological things. But this... Bible study methods, of course, I do repeat some of the same things that I say in there, but this is going to be more of the practical ways in which we study God's Word for ourselves instead of the theological, philosophical truths that we talked about during this book. I believe in order for our study of the Word of God to be full and complete and all that it should be, we have to incorporate three distinct areas, and that's why we have three Wednesday nights to talk about these areas. These areas represent our hearts, our hands, and our heads. Those are the three areas. You have to incorporate all of those in any relationship. Think about that. We have communion and we share love and commonality with somebody else. We are committed even when we don't feel like it. And sometimes it takes hard work to be committed. And after those two areas are intact, we show our relationship by serving that person. Think of a marriage relationship. You engage all three. You engage your heart, you engage your hands, and you engage your head. Your heart feels the love. And after you've been married for X number of years, and you get to fill in that blank. Not me. After you've been married for, for X number of years, many times it's your head that keeps you in the marriage. Can somebody say amen? Okay, life changes. So it's commitment that keeps you there. And all the while, what are you doing? You're showing the love, the heart part, and you're showing the head part through your hands to each other. Okay? So that's any relationship, and it's no different 
with the word of God. Having a relationship with this word is exactly like that. So this series is going to have three focuses, three areas that we will focus on. The first one, which we will cover tonight, involves the heart. And it's going to be relationship. So tonight it's Bible study methods, colon, relationship. It's about our personal relationship with the word and how you can develop that. I am firmly convinced that this is the only thing that is going to sustain us and anchor us in these days in which we're living. We have no clue what every morning is going to bring us. And this is the only thing that keeps us steady and that keeps us focused. So you know that you want to have a relationship with it, but many times people just don't know how, you know? For years, I wanted to have what they talked about. The old timers would talk about the relationship with the word. And I was clueless. I did not understand how in the world can that be. I don't know how. I want to know how. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How? And you may know a lot of this, but some of it you may not know. And if you just glean one little nugget, it will be worth it. The second lesson, which will be taught next week, is in the area of the head. And it will be entitled Workman. In that lesson, we'll talk about how to use tools within the relationship and become the workmen that God directed us to be in 2 Timothy 2.15. The third lesson, week after next, will encompass the area of the hands, and it will be entitled Strengthen. That's going to be an amazing night. We're going to discuss the different personal strengths which are available to us when we have a relationship with the Word and use the tools at our disposal to find the treasures. I've already started preparing that lesson, and I I can't even tell you I've been blessed just by putting the structure of it together. I see what's coming together. I see what God's doing with that lesson. That's going to be an amazing lesson for us that third week, strengthen. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to get a notebook for just the Wednesday night sanctuary series, not just this one, but all of them, and put all of your notes in one notebook, a sanctuary series notebook. Sometimes you'll be receiving handouts, which I think you got tonight. You can place in your binders. Sometimes you won't, but I encourage you to bring that notebook in which you can take notes and refer back to as we go from lesson to lesson and series to series. So I hope you're all as excited about all of this upcoming information, study, as I am. I know that probably all of you in here are not quite, don't get the high that I get whenever I study. I mean, I literally a high. I, I, if, if, if I were not in church and didn't know God and getting high wasn't a thing, it would not be tempting to me because of the high that I get whenever I open the word and begin studying. I'm aware that not everybody's like that, but I hope that maybe a little bit of it will rub off because it's strength, it's power, it's joy, it's peace, it's hope when you learn to get to that point in your study of the word. So don't miss the thing. Make sure you're here. Oh, hey, but that's uh, not a coaster. Oh, sorry, sorry. What? That's the Bible. What's that doing out? I was reading it. You were reading that? Yes. At home? Yes. Without anybody telling you to? Yeah. That's weird. Why would you do that? Uh, I don't know. It's it's God's word. I thought... Wait, 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 wait. That's God's word? Yeah, I mean, it's the gospel. I just. Oh, slow down, slow down. So, this Bible that you say is God's word is also the gospel. Yeah. What did you think it was? I don't know. I guess I just never put it all together like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Bible. I mean, it's just that I never read it unless, you know, someone says turn to this verse and follow along. But it's a, it's a good book, you know, it's got a lot of positive stories, you know, a lot of really great guys, you know, like the guy who named all the animals and the other guy who put them on a boat and Pharaoh. Wait, really? Pharaoh. That's, that's it? That's all you got? You think there's just one central character that you might be leaving out? 
Yeah, well, of course. I mean, there's the one central figure. <laughs> so who are you thinking of? Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. So it's like we shouldn't just think of the Bible as a good book to read at church, but like an everyday book that can soothe us, activate our imagination, convict us, and bring us closer to God. Yeah. That's exactly right. Is this the same Bible with the Old and New Testament? Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> and some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, that is really sad. That poor guy don't know a thing about the Bible. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet you some of you may be sitting there thinking, what do you mean? That's me. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> it was me at one time. It sure was. So I'm not about to ask for a show of hands to indicate whether or not you identify with the guy who is clearly not familiar with the word. But I'm asking you to take a look inside tonight and ask yourself if the Bible is a central part of your life. That's the question for you. Is the Bible a central part of your life? A way to know the answer to that is to ask yourself these questions. To what position do I assign the word of God in my day? Is it first? Is it last? Is it if I get a chance? Is it if I get five minutes or ten minutes? Is it in the car through audio? Probably all of us said, yes, the Bible is central to our life. But how central depends on what you answered to those questions. I've made this point here before and I'm going to remind us all of something again tonight as we open this series. And I've made it in Eat This Book, but you may not have remembered it. If you did, it's worth repeating because education is not what we hear. It's what we remember, right? So, to my knowledge, there are only two times in the whole Bible in which Satan actually appeared and spoke audibly to humanity. There are times that he influenced and put thoughts in the heart of, of people, but I'm only aware of two times in which he spoke audibly and held a conversation with human beings. The first one, I'm sure you immediately thought about, was when he spoke to Eve in the garden, persuaded her to eat of the fruit of the tree that God had said not to eat. That's Genesis 3, chapter 1. Tells the story of how he, the devil, introduced the spirit of questioning at the very beginning of time. Now, I want to just make a difference right here, and you probably need to write this down. There is a major difference between the spirit of questioning and questions. The spirit of, excuse me, the spirit of questioning is wrong. Questions are necessary. Here's the difference. The spirit of questioning casts doubt on the word of God. And questions from a pure heart ask for light to be revealed through the written word. I'm looking at Brother Larry back there. I know you have taught tons of Bible studies, home Bible studies through your years. And I am sure that you are at the point now you are able to discern immediately when a question goes forth. Whether it's coming from the spirit of questioning or from a question seeking revelation. It's easy to discern because when you're trying to cast doubt on it, that's a spirit of questioning. And when trying to receive revelation from it, that is the right way to question. So I want to interject right here to the law of the first mention. How many of you do not know what I'm talking about when I say the law of the first mention? Okay, good. Most of you do. I will, I will tell you real quick right here. The law of the first mention is used by many people when studying the word of God. It's not a rigid standard, but it's a helpful guideline when you use it along with other rules of solid hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of the word of God. That's what that word means. The idea is that the first time something is mentioned will be the simplest and most understandable reference from which the others build. That's the idea of the law of the first mention. And it holds true pretty much throughout the entire word of God. 
So if you follow the law of the first mention regarding the spirit of questioning, you realize that in Genesis 3, the spirit of questioning was introduced by the devil himself. And therefore, one of the greatest things we can do when researching and asking questions is to make sure we are doing so through a spirit of seeking revelation and not a spirit of desiring to condemn, criticize, or diminish any part of what God desires in us. Does that make sense? Okay. So, in Genesis 3, you know the story. He comes to Eve. He says, eat of the fruit. She said, we can't eat of the fruit. If any tree will die. He says, well, did you see this one? She said, no, we can't even touch that tree. You're not going to die. That's not what he meant. He just said, he just said, um, verse four, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. So she fell for it. You know the story, told Adam, he fell for it. And we're all paying the price right this minute. He twisted God's words. And he laughed when he won that battle. And he tried it again in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, which is the same story whenever Jesus was baptized, went into the wilderness for 40 days, led by the Spirit to fast before he began his ministry. After, the Bible says, after he had finished fasting. So I'm thinking this is around 30, day 39, day 40, because the scripture says after. The devil appears to him and gave him the three temptations. Okay, one of the temptations was he told Jesus... Here, he took him to the top of the temple. He said, cast yourself down because it is written. The devil said, it is written. The angels will be there to catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus, which is the most, the most audacity, the most brash, ridiculous thing I have ever heard because God is the word. Jesus, it was God, and the devil's going to quote the word to Jesus. And he twisted it. And Jesus knew he twisted it. And he took him back to Deuteronomy 6.14, and he said, oh, no, 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 you've twisted it again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord our God. So what he did, he called him out, and he said, this is the spirit of change. This is the spirit of trying to... Mess this up. The word within Jesus, because Jesus was the word, so his essence was discerning enough to say, no, no. Wrong interpretation. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay. So that's two times. The devil has only been given the opportunity by God, because God has to give him any opportunity, twice in the history of mankind to appear to humanity and verbally try to thwart the plan and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And both of those times, the devil went to the heart of the matter, which is the word of God. This is the issue right here. This is the issue. Satan realizes that when we're born again of water and of spirit, and the very spirit of God, which is the word, the logos, comes to dwell inside of us, and we do what? We speak the word back out in his language that he gives us to do so. Okay, the devil knows then that his only hope of destroying us is to destroy the power and the hope of the word inside us. Now, did, you, did that make sense? Let that sink in for just a second, what I just said. So the devil knows then that the Logos of John 1 has come to live inside me whenever I get the Holy Ghost and I speak with tongues. And he can't take that away with, from me. So what does he do? He says, I will attack it. And I, want, I can't take it out of them, but I can get them to thwart it. And I can get them to deny it. And I can get them to push away from it. So he can only attack from the outside and not the inside. So he does. He does everything he can to distract us from the main fight. And he distracts us with physical issues, health issues. 
He distracts us from financial, with financial issues, with shelter issues, with relationship issues, with emotional issues, with time issues. And you can add to that list. It goes on and on and on. And the list just gets longer as you change from one season of your life to another. And he can't get to the word on the inside of us, but he can attack it from the outside and get us to lose our focus on this part. He tells us that these are our problems, these outside things, and those are the things that we have to change if we want to make everything right. You got to fix your finances. You got to fix yourself. You got to fix your health. You got to fix your marriage. You got to fix. No, no. Yes, all that has to be fixed. But before you even look at any of that stuff, you go here because if the foundation is not fixed, you can't fix the walls and the ceiling and the roof. So all the while, the devil is distracting us from the real issue, the real source of our power and our peace and our purpose, which is eating the book, ingesting the word, metabolizing the word, becoming one with the word. He twists the meaning of prayer and causes us to make it a one-sided conversation in which we do all the talking. He twists the meaning of a word from God. And we are apostolics, and we believe in rhema words, right now words. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit operating among us. We believe in the gift of prophecy. We believe in all this. But the devil will come at us and twist that and say, it has to come from another individual in order to be a right now word. No. No, that's not true. It can, yes, but it doesn't have to. He twists the meaning of relationships with the living word and makes us think we are absorbing black ink on white paper instead of bread for life. So my message to you tonight is urgent. Do not get distracted away from the real issue. If he only had twice in the history of mankind to thwart the plan and purpose of God, and both of those times he attacked the word of God, what makes you think his tactics have changed? They have not. The devil only has one playbook. He started using it in the garden, and he's still operating from the same one right now in 2021. But let's get real where we are. Even when you know how important the word of God is, sometimes the dots do not connect in our brain of how we can actually have a relationship with it. So that's the focus. And in order to talk about that, we are going to do a quick review of something I've talked about here several times before. And so I won't spend a long time here on this, but I want us to answer the question, what is the word? We will do that by going to scripture, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Word in that scripture is translated from the Greek word logos and it's a complicated definition but for our purposes it's sound wrapped around a concept. So this is a pulpit and when I say the word pulpit that is sound wrapped around an animate, an animate, sorry, inanimate object. But word is, logos is not one thing. Logos is a huge concept. The word light, the logos spoke that word. That has so many layers to it. So yeah, Hebrew words, Greek words, logos, the word, From the beginning of time, God was a voice. Because Logos has sound wrapped around it. So if you ever want to know what God looked like, I'm not sure, but it involved a mouth. It's a voice. Sound wrapped around a concept. Okay, and that was God, according to John 1 and 1. All right, we'll go to the next one. Hebrews 4 and 12. So that Logos is quick. And if you're a reader of the King James Version, which I am, and I encourage you to be, and that's a whole other lesson we are not going to talk about tonight. But quick. Do not go to the dictionary and define the word quick. 
because then you'll think the word of God is fast. No, do not do that. Go to a concordance or a lexicon and define that word, and you will find out that it means life, breath, full of life, living. So the word of God is living. Now, what does living mean? Living means it breathes. Living means it has life. Living means it's not stagnant. Living means it did not, it was not just spoken and then the words recorded and then the sound died away. That's not what living means. Living means it's just as full of life right here in the sanctuary tonight as the, as it was whatever time and place that the Logos spoke it to the ears of the writers who wrote it down. Which is another thing. The writers did not write this. They took dictation. The Logos spoke this into their ears. Okay. So that's what the word is. The word is God. The word is the living voice of God. So it's hard to open a book and think that these letters are alive. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. But try. Because they are. What does that mean? Okay. When you receive the Spirit of God into you, and you receive the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God, the Bible says the evidence of that is you speak with tongues. That is evidence. But it's not necessarily for those around you to hear it so they'll know you got it. That's not the point. The point is, is the Logos comes inside you. And Logos is what? Sound. Words. And the Logos, when it gets in you, it starts speaking back out. And that's how you know, oh, it's in here. He has control now of my tongue. And now he's speaking through me. Okay, watch this. So we take that revelation and we open up this book, and these words are alive. And if we had spirit eyes to see clearly, we would be able to see them rising up off the page, coming, trying to connect with the Logos inside of us. And many times we shut it down because we are distracted by the financial issue and the relationship issue and the time issue and this issue and the And so we're just not even aware that that living Logos is trying to connect with that spirit within us and we lose it. But oh, when we're aware and we open our spirits up and we start reading and I'm just open randomly here, Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And we stop and we say, oh God, let that be me. Thank you for covering my sin. Thank you for covering my transgression. Thank you for shedding your blood. at Cal-. And all of a sudden the glory fills the room because what's happening is, is the living word is coming into our spirit, meeting the Holy Ghost and all of the things that have had us worried and have had us distracted are becoming lost because we are going into something much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than the world we live in, much bigger than what we can see. Oh, what a beautiful thing this is. I get lost in talking about this and I have to go. There's more. Oh, so seven ways to develop relationship with the word. I tried to I tried to come up with seven ways, practical ways, that I have worked in my life to develop a relationship because now it is a relationship. I can't tell you what happens to me when I just pick up my Bible. Oh my goodness, I just pick it up sometimes or I'll walk around the house with it uh, just held close to me and I will be praying, I'll be quoting it, I'll be, but, but just picking up, it's a relationship there because I know every single time that I open it, God is going to meet me. I'm going to feel more than just looking at words. It's going to be a supernatural thing. So how has that happened over the years? It doesn't happen all at once, okay? I am going to talk about seven ways right here. You're not going to want to do all seven of these things in the morning. It's not going to work that way. 
You've probably already done several of them already. But I encourage you, I encourage you to start trying to incorporate these into your life and watch how the layers will pull back as you read the Word of God, as you develop your relationship with Him. So the first one is going to be, of course, read the Word. That's the first one. That's obvious. That's the one probably everybody in here has done. Deuteronomy 17, 19 is our scripture there, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and to keep all of the words of this law, and these statutes, and to do them. You cannot learn unless you read. You can hear me too, but you cannot learn unless you read for yourself, because I do not pull back the layers of revelation for you. I, it is impossible. I don't have that power. Only God can pull back the layers of revelation for you. And how does he do that? He does it when you read the word, when you start trying to learn more about the word, and when you obey what you read. Because obedience always precedes revelation. If you see something, and you know God's trying to reveal it to you, but you don't want to obey, oh, well, if, if he'll reveal it to me, I'll do it. Forget it. It's a, and I can give you scripture after scripture. We don't have time tonight. But he won't do that. He doesn't operate that way. If it's in his word and if he said it, he expects you to obey it. And then he will reveal more of how and why after you've obeyed what he said. So that's the way that you learn. You read, you obey, and God pulls back the layers of revelation. There is a difference, though, between reading and reading. Reading one says the words on the page, but it doesn't retain them nor understand them half the time. May I get a witness? How many have ever sat there and thought, what in the world does this mean? I have no clue what this, I have, I do all the time. Reading two says the words, says them again. Choose them up until they're clear and understandable. Doesn't leave them until there's been a level of comprehension, a level of digestion, a level of understanding. Reading, too, slows way down. There are several types of reading. There's the overall reading where you make sure you read a certain amount each day, and this is good and worthy, and I know that sometimes... Contrary to the way I may sound when I teach this, I do encourage this. The people who say I read the whole Bible every year, great. I do encourage that. That's wonderful. That's a lot of reading every single day. That's a lot of chewing. And I'm sure that you must spend at least three to four hours doing that. But, for instance, as a congregation, we're doing that, right? Yes. Okay. There is extreme worth in that, extreme value in that, because it keeps us grouped together as a body. And revelation can come to us as a body. So, when you are doing that type of reading, do it. That's reading one, and there is a place for reading one. But whenever you're by yourself and you're trying to figure something out in the Word, that's reading two. The second type. So in addition to doing the overall reading, you have to develop the skill of really reading, reading to the words. You have to let them fill your mind and your heart and your soul and your mouth. And so that's why the next six ways are so important. I love what C.H. Spurgeon said about this. Uh, He's one of my favorites anyway. uh, 1800s England, pastor in London. I would rather lay my soul a soak and half a dozen verses all day, then rinse my hand in several chapters. That's a good way to look at it. When you really let your soul soak in these verses that God is giving you, instead of just kind of swimming and surface snorkeling through several chapters, that's when you start developing the relationship with the Word. I like to repeat things. I love to teach, and so I understand that teaching is about repetition. So after every point that I make, I will list it up here so that you can 
um, see it again and see how it fits with the whole. So seven ways to develop relationship. The first one is read the word. Read the word. The second way that I think is a good way to develop relationship is number two, listen to the word. I love this verse, and I actually am in touch with a guy who has his doctorate in Hebrew and is getting his doctorate in biblical Greek. And I I texted him this verse, and I said, tell me, and I I asked him to explain some definitions that I thought were there, but I wanted to make sure. And he said, yes, he said, but it's even more than that. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. He said, that's talking about the very land. That's talking, and this was talking about the Jews uh, uh, coming out of exile. And it was like, it was like, The very, very land underneath their feet were absorbing the Logos through the sound of the the words of the Lord. In our case, the, the Bible. It would be the Bible. I'm sure in that time, I don't know if it was written at that point or if it was still just oral. But the earth was even absorbing that. How much more? How much more? I don't want to be left out. I don't want the earth to hear and to absorb more than I absorb. The Lord spoke to me at the beginning of this year to read read the book of Revelation. I always go to him at the beginning of the year for sure. And then based on how long he tells me to do something, I'll do it. And then I'll ask him again. But I said, what do you want me to read, Lord? Because I know that God prepares us for certain things for certain times. And I felt... And I've never been a student of Revelation. I've read it, the reading number one style, but I've never been the student of it. And he said, read the book of Revelation. I said, okay, I'll do that. January. Okay, I'll do it. So I read it, did my thing, my, all the thing I do in the mornings with, with, with my study. And at the end of January, I said, okay, Lord, now what? And he said, Revelation, all year. I said, Lord... It's one book. It's got a lot in there I don't get. All year? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, all year. So, okay, I did. I'm doing it. And I would read it. I would do it a different way. I studied. I have, we have a dear family friend who got his doctorate. Uh, Brother, Brother Marvin Treese got his doctorate in... Uh, Greek and wrote a commentary of five books of the Bible and Revelation was one of those. So I got his, cause we, I know him, we knew him so well and I got his book down and his commentary and I went through it all with his. And so about July, it was like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I don't know what else to do here. And so he said, I felt him say, listen to it. So I started it and about July, I started listening and I downloaded the word of promise app on my phone, which I've downloaded too. I have the Dwell app. The Dwell app has a lady reading in the King James Version, and that's good. I like Word of Promise. Even though it's new King James Version, I like it because it's dramatized, and they have actors, different actors reading the voices, and they have music behind it. It's, the, it's strictly Word. It's nothing in addition to Word, but it's really good. And so I started every morning reading... I will read where I'm at, the passage I'm working on, and then I will listen to that whole chapter on my audio, uh, my audio Bible on my phone. And it takes me, I don't know, it takes me about a week to get through a chapter. So every day for that week, I'm listening to that chapter. I am not a morning person. It takes me a while. My body will get up and walk. But it's just going off of memory because my brain's not engaged. And so it's hard for me. And I I make sure that this word and all of that is the first thing I do every morning. That's my filter for the day. And so I make sure it's first. So I found that it it was so much more meaningful to me whenever I would go into my chair. I would sit down with my coffee, have my Bible on my lap, and turn on that audio Bible. And I also read a psalm in the morning. So then I started listening to the psalm. And so what I'm finding is, 
is that for, for, for two months now, I've been doing this, what I'm finding is, is the, the words that I'm hearing are coinciding with the words that I'm reading, and it's just kind of opening up something in me. I can't even explain it. But hearing the word of the Lord does something. So I challenge you. I challenge you to download Word of Promise app or the Dwell app where you can listen to whatever you want to on your phone or your iPad or your computer or whatever it is. And if if you don't have any of those things, talk to some of these younger ones around here and tell them they need to get you hooked up. Okay? It's not hard and they can do that. If you can't do that, read it aloud to yourself. But read it aloud. Let the words go into the atmosphere. There is something about the sound waves of the word of God that changes the atmosphere. So the quote that I have on that one is this, because this fits so well. A.W. Tozer, if you do all the talking when you pray, how will you ever hear God's answers? And that's what I'm listening for when I'm hearing that audio Bible. He's answering something I prayed for yesterday or last week or the week before. And it's amazing how I will hear it before I will see it. Interesting. So seven ways to develop relationship. Number one, read the word. Number two, listen to the word. Number three, pray the word. This one is a huge one. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. James 4 and 3. I have totally changed my prayer life about what I pray for. Uh, probably about the last 10 or 12 years or so. I read a book by, uh, it's the autobiography of George Mueller. M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Lived in the 1800s. Most of the 1800s. Um, was wayward at the beginning of his life, went to a prayer meeting, and had a profound experience that totally changed him. And I wish I could have been there, because I have an idea what it might would have been. So he had a profound experience that totally changed him. And when he left there, he was totally different. And uh, he, developed, he lived in Brighton, England, developed a burden for orphans, for the street kids. And he started bringing them into his home. And it, he got more and more and more. And then he bought the house next door to him. It was a row house, a townhouse thing. He bought the house next door to him because he ran out of room in his home. And he filled that up. And then he bought another house. And then he finally ended up with all the houses on the whole street. And then he realized that, you know, he had to have land. He had to have buildings. Long story short, if you Google uh, George Mueller and Brighton, England, and the orphanage, you will see that the buildings are still there to this day. The orphanage has shut down, but the buildings are there. But in George Mueller's lifetime, he personally raised over 10,000 orphans. And he never one time asked for a dime. Not one time. His, if you read that book, and, and the book is... Um, and if you go ahead and go to his picture there, you may, yeah. If, if you get the book, it's George Mueller, the one that you want to get. It's a short one. It's uh, on Amazon. A ma- George Mueller, a man of faith. And I believe that the author is Basil Miller. I believe that's the author of the one that you want to get because it tells his stories. He kept a journal of every time God answered a, pr- a prayer for him because he would not pray and ask for something unless he could put his finger on a scripture that he felt supported that prayer. And he has over 55,000 answers to prayer in his journals of what God did for him. Why did he get so many answers? Because he did not pray amiss. He prayed straight from the word of God. What would be ours if we would adopt that practice ourselves? And every time we went before God, instead of begging and pleading for him to do something, we would put our finger on a word, I mean, on a, on a scripture, on a verse, and we would say, Lord, you said right here that you are my hiding place and you shall preserve me from trouble. So right now I'm praying against the spirit of fear. I will not let it come in. I mean, just lay your finger on that scripture and claim it. Don't beg God like he is a bad father that doesn't want to give you something. 
Don't ask him for stuff that doesn't matter in the long run. This book teaches us what matters. This book tells us. And start journaling the prayers that he will answer. And I will guarantee you, he will do the same thing for you that he did for George Mueller. So we're talking about praying the word. There's five points there. Begin by praying a scripture that prepares your heart for connecting intimately with God. Research. Do your own. I purposely didn't list scriptures here because I don't want you to take my experience. I want you to take your experience. Make it your own. What is a scripture that prepares your heart for connecting intimately with God? The second thing, use a verse or a passage to shape your prayer, like what I just demonstrated. Number three, allow imagery from scripture to influence your prayers. I can't tell you the times that I have prayed for God to be a pavilion over me, and I actually visualize myself... Sitting in that pavilion with God, with his arms around me, sheltering me, covering me, and nobody can see me. I see it. There's nothing like visualizing the scriptures and putting them in your life. This is how you pray it. Lord, thank you for the pavilion. Thank you that you're over me. Thank you that you're in front of me. Thank you that you're behind me. Thank you you're to this side and you're to that side. And God, I know that nobody can get to me because you are hiding me in your pavilion. And you're praying that scripture. All right? Four. Turn a verse into a first or a third person prayer. If you're praying for somebody else, you turn a verse into a prayer for that person. And number five, pick a verse and declare it as truth for whoever you are praying for. Or whatever you're praying for. This is what George Mueller said. For my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend vile though I am and unworthy of it, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. Instead of talking to God about what we want to, why don't we talk to him about what he has talked to us about? It often now astonishes me that I I did not sooner see this point. So seven ways. Read the word, listen to the word, pray the word. Number four, obey the word. I've already gone over this a lot, but I'm going to just touch it lightly right now. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Obedience precedes revelation. When you hear the word, you read the word, you pray the word, but you don't do the word, you're thwarting your answers. You're thwarting your relationship. But when you obey the word, he shows up. He shows up. He meets you right where you are. I'm going to take this time to read this because this is absolutely wonderful. It's by Oswald Chambers. That's another good book if you've never had it. My utmost for his highest. It's a devotional. It's old, old, but it's a great book. Oswald Chambers said, all God's revelations are sealed to us until they're open to us by obedience. You will never get them open by philosophy or thinking. Immediately you obey, a flash of light comes. Let God's truth work in you by soaking in it, not by worrying into it. Obey God in the thing he is at present showing you, and instantly the next thing is opened up. We read tomes on the work of the Holy Spirit when five minutes of drastic obedience would make things clear as a sunbeam. We say, I suppose I shall understand these things someday, but you can understand them now. It is not study that does it, but obedience. The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens up and the profoundest truths of God are yours straight away. God will never reveal more truth about himself until you obey what you already know. So we're talking about relationship. And let me tell you this. If you read it, if you listen to it, if you pray it, if you obey it, You are becoming one with it. There's no way you will not have relationship with it. So the fourth thing is, obey the word. 
Number five, meditate on the word. I have talked about this here before. I'm not going to go into a long, lengthy discussion on it. Um, If you want more information on this, we do have a course that is going to be released on October the 15th that I'm so excited about. Uh, It's going to be Eat This Book Online. And it it gives five to 12-minute videos for 40 days of all these concepts that I'm talking about with journal entries and lesson notes online. And so... Well, you'll hear more, you'll, you will hear more about that as it gets closer, but October 15th, that's coming out, and a lot of this stuff will be um, explained in further detail. But we are, in, we are instructed to meditate on the words, My hands also will I lift up into thy commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. I'm not going to go into a long, lengthy discussion. Let me just tell you, meditation is not, biblical meditation is not Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation says sit in silence and empty your mind. Biblical meditation, every Hebrew word for meditation involves sound. Biblical meditation says sit Concentrate on God and speak the words of God. Fill your mind with the words of God. Eastern says empty. Biblical says fill. And the secret is with the word. So look up. Go to your concordance and look up every place you see the word meditation or meditate. You're going to be amazed because it tells you all of the things that meditation will do for you in helping you develop this relationship with his word. Thomas Manton was a pilgrim father, came over with the pilgrims, and he said the word feeds meditation, and meditation feeds prayer. I love it because it's so true. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. Wonderful. So number five is meditate on the word. Number six, ask questions from the word. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The word search in that scripture comes from the Greek word, are you not, oh, I am not a Greek scholar, I just do the best I can. It means to search, to investigate. What do people do when they search and investigate? They ask questions. You have to ask questions about everything you read. You ask, what does this passage tell me about God and man and living to please God? What captured my attention? What bothers me? What speaks to me? What changes do I need to make in order to obey this? What did I not understand? You have to ask questions. We talked about the difference in the spirit of questioning and asking, but you will never develop a relationship with the word unless you learn to ask questions of it. Seeking revelation. So, number six, ask questions from the word. Number seven, and this is the last one here, write the word. This is something that I've been doing, and after I started doing it, I found out it's kind of like a trend going on right now. Scripture writing, it's a trend, Google it. It's, it I was amazed at all the notebooks that comes up. But I handwrite a portion of scripture every single day. In my revelation study, that is one layer that I added in order to try to really develop a relationship with revelation with the, with the book. I, I read it, I listen to it, and I am now writing the entire book in my journal. So I'm handwriting it. I write three verses every morning of revelation. And, and I go back as it's, and I'll read my own handwriting. I don't know. There's something about it. So, We have been commanded in the word to write so many times. I think that writing the word does add a dimension to our lives. And you say, what's the point? What does it do? You know what? I can't really answer that question. I just urge you to try it and see if it changes you. It has changed me. And I can't define it yet. I may be able to do that later on, but I can't define it yet. But it is changing me. I I saw a... uh, I was researching this, and I saw a, a, a clip of a lady who, who spent 16 years and wrote the whole Bible. And she said the reason it took her 16 years, because the first 13 years, she moved nine times. 
But if she wouldn't have done that, she could have written the whole Bible. You know, I, and she had pages and notebooks filled. Um, it makes it a part of your heart. So seven ways to develop relationship. Let's go to the seven ways. Read the word, listen to the word, pray the word, obey the word, meditate on the word, ask questions from the word, and write the word. We're about to close, but I want to leave you with this before we do. About 20 years ago, the young married Sunday school class that I was leading at our church went through a 40-day devotional together called Called to Die by David Nasser. It's an old one, but oh my goodness. If you look up David Nasser, it's probably there somewhere. N-A-S-S-A-R. It's a great devotional. We went deep into it. We blogged about it every day. We It was 40 days of profound introspection and a checking of our motives and our desires. And in many ways, I was altered forever for the better. And one of the day's devotions in that book is one that seared a mental image into my brain that I have never forgotten. And here's what it says. Chris Hertz is a young man who is the head of Word Made Flesh Ministries in India and all around Asia. This ministry provides shelters for homeless people, those with AIDS, and those afflicted with other diseases. Years ago, when he was a college student, Chris went to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa at the House of the Dying. At the House of the Dying, Chris' job was to look for dying people on the street and bring them in to give them a place to die with dignity. Their goal was not to cure these people. It was just to give them a dignified place to die. At first, the disease and the death would gross anybody out. But after a while, Chris saw hurting people in desperate need, not ugly people who interrupted his life. Chris said, one thing I begged not to do was take out the garbage. The stench was almost unbearable. Can you imagine the disease, the ragged clothing, and the half-eaten food? I begged them not to ask me to do it. It haunted me forever after the first time I took out the garbage. As soon as we walked out the back door toward the dump, children came out of the alleys and ripped open the bags to get whatever was there. And I yelled, don't eat this garbage. It's full of disease and death. But they were so hungry that they ate garbage because that was all they could find. They had no other choice. I wept as I saw them scrambled, scramble through the spilled jars of disease, the clothing stained with rotten flesh and used syringes, trying to get scraps of last night's dinner that a dying person didn't eat. That's a disturbing image. But in all honesty, how far are we from this really spiritually? How many times do we feast at a dumpster of this world whenever there is a, an incredible meal waiting for us, but we use every excuse in the book? Sometimes we get so full of junk that we aren't hungry for the food that really satisfies and nourishes us. Our souls are full of so much garbage that we don't even recognize our need for God's food. So as we bring this Bible study to a close tonight, and we stand our feet, I just want you right now to commit fresh and new that you will deepen your own relationship with the word. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about anybody else in this sanctuary. It's about you. It's about me. Let's ask him that we won't to help us that we won't just read it or hear it or use it as a tool or make it a check mark in a to-do list because it's the voice of God and it lives and a relationship with it is available to every single person in this room. This book was spoken by the very voice of God. The words are alive and the message is alive and it wants to have a relationship with you. The next two weeks won't mean a thing if you don't have a relationship with the word. 
the next two weeks, we will be talking about tools and then we'll talking about uh, helping others. But it doesn't mean a thing if you haven't put your own oxygen mask on first. And if you don't have the relationship with it, not a to-do list, not a check-off list, not a, I got my Bible reading in. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. That has no place in relationship. Talk to him just a second about you, not your neighbor, but you. Lord, I thank you for meeting us here. I thank you for your spirit that I have felt here tonight as we have talked about your voice, the Logos. And God, I, I'm seeing right now the children running to the dump, wanting the disease and the death, even though they knew it wasn't good, but it was food and they were so hungry. And God, how many of us are so full of junk food that we're not even hungry for the real thing? How many of us have gorged ourselves on disease and death and news and books and magazines and online and surfing? And how many of us have gorged ourselves so much that we don't have time to dive deep into the word that you left for us? God, I pray for all of us here, not that we'll develop skill to be the best word people around, but God, that we will develop such love for your word that nobody can take it from us and that nobody can rip it from us. And regardless of what happens to us, every time we hold it, we will feel chill bumps of your spirit in your presence. And we will know that every answer that we need is in it. I pray it over every person in this room. Reveal to every heart that is in here this week, God, Reveal yourself to them afresh and anew in a new wave of revelation as we study your word together. Let us go now from this place, but not from your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure and a joy to worship with you in the sanctuary tonight. See you next week.